Now hear this gospel story from the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 41. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the feast according to the custom. When the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, although his parents were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they uh, traveled uh, ahead for a day. Then they looked for him among their relatives and their friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him there. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting with the teachers, asking uh, them questions and um, and, uh, and asking them questions and, uh, 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 sorry, asking them questions. When his parents, after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, of course, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Didn't you know that your father and I were anxiously searching for you? Why have you been searching for me, he said. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But his parents did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down to Nazareth uh, with them and was obedient to them. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My husband Keith and I are both technologically challenged. And so uh, three weeks ago, on the eve of a big event for the Shelley family, we figured that we needed a new video camera. And there needed to be one qualification for this video camera, that qualification would be that it would be very basic, very simple, that both of us could operate it. So the next morning, I sent Keith out to find this video camera, and lo and behold, he found the camera. It was very basic, uh, very simple, very small. It was the answer to all our problems. The Shelley family would be documented from December 2009 uh, forward. Just last week, another event that should be videotaped, and Keith called me. Couldn't find the video camera. The video camera is lost. We'd recorded one concert and a swim meet, and the video camera was lost. It was the answer to all our problems, and now it's lost. This is kind of how I feel when I read the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. We've just been given the baby Jesus, the promised Messiah, and now he's lost. He's the answer to all our problems, and now he's gone. He's lost. What'd you do with it? Well, I didn't have it. I don't know what I did with it. I, I do remember seeing it, um, but maybe somebody took it. That's it. 
Somebody stole the Messiah from us. Have you ever felt like that? Like Jesus was just right there beside you. You understood God's presence, God's joy, God's promise for the future. But now he's gone. He's no longer there. It's a story that I've become all too familiar with. This last fall, a pastor friend of mine served on a walk to Emmaus. And she returned home after the weekend to the news that her daughter-in-law was in the hospital with a blood disorder that was systematically shutting down all of her organs. My friend's uh, grandson, 19 months old, was having a hard time understanding why he couldn't be with his mother. Where did he go? Jesus was just right here with us. What happened? The first year that I served here at this church, I was over in the garden chapel for a Wednesday evening service. At the close of the service, a young couple came forward to talk to me about uh, their plans for a wedding. They were filled with excitement and joy as we talked about the preparations uh, for the wedding. However, we would never gather to worship at a wedding service. Instead, just months later, we gathered uh, for worship for a funeral for the man who would have been the groom. What happened? The deliverer, the Messiah, he was just right there with us. Where did he go? On a smaller scale, a week ago last Friday, I was um, excited that school would be out for two weeks. Had big plans. Oh, we would go see movies. Uh, we would put together jigsaw puzzles. We would play games. We'd drink hot chocolate. We would laugh and talk and laugh. By Monday morning, I was seriously considering a military boarding school and a strong sedative. What happened to the love? What happened to the joy? It was just right there with me. He was just right there with me. Where did Jesus go? Well, maybe uh, Jesus is behind me. That's the story uh, in the scripture that we find in this second chapter of Luke. Mary and Joseph travel home to Nazareth. And as they travel home, Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem. Often I find that when I am complacent or a bit lazy, I leave Jesus behind. I find uh, that when I am overcome by the busyness of this world, I leave Jesus behind. But I also find when I am overcome by a strong sense of God's presence, that I want to leave Jesus behind and encapsulate him there so that I can go back and visit Jesus there and know that he's behind me. The church has done this well for 2,000 years. We make uh, shrines and altars and churches in Jesus' places, places where we have experienced Jesus, where we have experienced God, and this is good. And yet, I believe that the church should not be about collecting artifacts of our faith. That the church is not to be a museum. We are to be so much more than that. Remember the story of the transfiguration in the Gospels. Jesus takes Peter and James and John to the top of a high mountain, the scripture says. And while they are there, he is transfigured before them. His face shines as bright as the sun. His clothes become dazzling white. 
And Moses and Elijah appear there with him, and they speak to Jesus. And Peter, so excited, says, let me build three shelters, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you, Jesus. It's as if Peter says, then I can keep you there, and I'll, I'll know how to find you. I'll know how to get back to you. But Peter's excitement is overcome by God's voice who speaks into this story. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him, God says. Keep up with him. He may stay behind you, but there's no guarantee. If Jesus is not behind us, then maybe Jesus has wandered on in front of us. I think we can make that argument with this uh, scripture text as well. Some of the commentaries that I looked at about this particular scripture passage says, say that at the end of chapter 2 of Luke is a foreshadowing of what's to come. And if we read this scripture story with the stories of the crucifixion and the resurrection in mind, then when we get to the part that says, Mary and Joseph looked for Jesus, and after three days, they found him. We say, aha. And for Luke, especially for Luke's gospel, to be lost is to be dead. To be found is to be alive. Remember the story of the prodigal son. It's only found in Luke's gospel. The last line of the prodigal son says, my son, your brother, he was lost, but now he's found He was dead, but now he is alive. If Jesus wanders on ahead of me, the promise, the assurance for me is that there is no place that I can go that Jesus hasn't already been. No words that I can speak that haven't already been spoken. No thoughts that I can have that haven't already been thought. Nothing that I can do that hasn't already been done. God is there. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I descend to Sheol, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wing of the morning to the outer limits of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me safe. Jesus is behind us or Jesus is in front of us. Maybe there are more clues on how to find Jesus in the location that he is found in this story. Oh, this scene is all too familiar to me as a mother. Mary and Joseph find Jesus in the temple. And Mary says to Jesus, in my mind, she just blurts out these words. My son What are you trying to do to us? Instead of, my son, what are we trying to do to you? What have we done to you? She says, what have you done to us? We've been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus said, why have you been searching for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? It's obvious. Not too many years ago, we traveled to uh, College Station to visit my grandmother and While we were there, my mother and I took one of my then preschool-age daughters to a department store. And while we were shopping there, I thought that she had her. She thought that I had her. And when we met back up, the search was on. We enlisted uh, salespeople and fellow shoppers to help us find her. 
We called out her name. We looked under the clothing racks. We walked the entire store, and when we'd walked the full circumference of the store, we found her standing by a giant gumball machine. She looked up at me and she said, I want some gum. Translated, isn't it obvious where I would be? (laughs) I'm about the gum. I'm going to be by the giant gumball machine. Jesus says, I'm about my father's work. I'm going to be in my father's house. Luke Johnson, who's a New Testament scholar, says that a more accurate translation of that verse, did you not know that I would be, that I had to be in my father's house, would be, did you not know that I had to be about my father's affairs? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? This reminds me of that teaching of Henry Blackaby's that we found not too many years ago in Experiencing God. Remember, Henry Blackaby said, if I want to find uh, God's unique call for my life, it's probably more wise to look in the world around me and find where God is at work and join in than it is to sit still and wait for God to tell me about that unique call that God has placed on my life. Find where God is at work. Be about our Father's affairs. Well, my favorite part of this scripture story is the very end, where we're back with Mary again. Luke, so often in the Nativity uh, stories, favors uh, Mary. And once again in this story, Luke tells us that Mary treasures all these things in her heart. She silently listens and takes in this experience that she's had of her son, Jesus. You know, there are some mothers that keep a journal during the childhood years. And there are other mothers that keep a scrapbook uh, of their children's years. And still other more desperate types use stories of their children in their sermons. (laughs) But we all keep a record. We all keep a record of the childhood years. Mary's record is in her heart. Mary's scrapbook is in her heart. And that's instruction for us. If we want to find Jesus, the best clue may be to thoughtfully consider where we have found him in the past so that we might better understand our Father's work. Well, I lost a teacher this year. In March of 2009, Dr. Nancy Eastland died. She's the seminary professor at Candler School of Theology. The week after she passed away, Emory University put on their website that she had done groundbreaking work in the areas of theology of disability, sociology of religion, and congregational studies. She was brilliant for such a a short life, a brilliant woman. I remember sitting in Brooks Commons in the spring of 1995 with other theology students, first-year theology students, and they were bemoaning the fact that she was such a difficult professor. They couldn't keep up with her. They could hardly maintain a B average in her class. But I didn't know Nancy that way. Nancy... uh, taught me a directed study, and so we met together once a week at the top of the museum uh, in Emory University. There was a sandwich shop, and we would meet in that sandwich shop, 
She would assign me things to read, and I would write about those things. We would discuss what I had had read. Uh, She always uh, prayed for me, and we usually got around to talking about our lives and our families. I remember one particular afternoon we were there. Um, Dr. Luther Smith was also there, another professor at the seminary. Uh, Dr. Smith was a professor that everybody wanted to take, but only third-year students got into his class. He was very wise and soft-spoken, and he had come to some amount of fame in his writings about Howard Thurman because he had traveled with the theologian Howard Thurman. Nancy waved to him across the room. He waved back, and then she turned to me and she said, Dinah, you remind me of him. You're like Luther. You have a heart like his. 